Section 4 of Herbold's Their Origin and Evolution, a chapter in the history of botany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Herbold's Their Origin and Evolution, a chapter in the history of botany by Yakni Zaber. Chapter 4 The Botanical Renaissance of the 16th and 17th Centuries, Part 1 the herbal in Germany. In his history of botany, Kurt Sprengel first used the honour title The German Fathers of Botany to describe a group of herbalists, Brinfeldts, Bock, Fuchs and Cordes, whose work belongs principally to the first half of the 16th century. The earliest of these was Otto Brinfeldts, Otho Brinfeldius, who is said to have been born in 1464. His surname is derived from the fact that his father, who was a cooper, came from Schloss Brunfels near Mainz. When Otto grew up, he became a Carthusian monk. We do not know how long his monastic career lasted, but eventually his health appears to have broken down, and, at the same time, his faith in the Roman Catholic Church was undermined by the acquaintance which he began to make with Protestant doctrines. He fled from the monastery and took up his abode in Strasbourg, where he was for nine years headmaster of the grammar school. He wrote various theological works, but ultimately turned his attention to medicine, and before his death in 1534 he had become town physician at Bern. As evidence of his medical studies we have his fine herbal, which is still full of interest, whereas his other works, which he probably regarded as much more serious contributions, have fallen into oblivion. A new era in the history of the herbal may be set to date from the year 1530, when the first part of Brunfelder's work, the Herbarium Vivae Iconis, was published by Schott of Strasbourg. In this book, with its beautiful and naturalistic illustrations, there is, as the title indicates, a real return to nature. The plants are represented as they are, and not in the conventionalized aspect which had become traditional in the earlier herbals, through successive copying by one artist from another, without reference to the plants themselves. The blocks for the Herbarium Vivae Iconis were executed by Hans Weiditz, who was probably also the draughtsman. Examples are shown in text figures 22, 23, 24, 25, 82, 83 and 84. The illustrations of Brinfeld's herbal are incomparably better than the text, which is very poor, and largely borrowed from previous writers. Brunfeld's knowledge of botany was chiefly derived from the study of certain Italian authors, Monadas and others, who spent the time in trying to identify the plants they saw growing around them with those described by Dioscorides. This was by no means unreasonable in their case, since it was the plants of the Mediterranean region that Dioscorides had enumerated. When, however, Bundfeldt attempted to employ the same methods in its examination of the flora of the Strasbourg district and the left bank of the Rhine, many difficulties and discrepancies arose. He had no understanding of the geographical distribution of plants, and did not realize that different regions have dissimilar floras. It is curious that this should have been so, when we remember that Theophrastus, more than 1800 years earlier, had clearly pointed out that the provinces of Asia have each their own characteristic plans, and that some which occur in one region are absent from another. Hieronymus Bock, who in his Latin writings called himself Targus, text figure 26, was a contemporary of Brunfeld's though his botanical work was somewhat later in date. He was born in 1498, and destined by his parents for the cloister. 
but he proved to have no vocation for the monastic life, and having passed through a university course, he obtained, by favour of the Count Palatin Ludwig, the post of school teacher at Zweibrücken, and overseer of the Count's garden. After his patron's death, he removed to Hornbach, where he preached the gospel, and also had an extensive medical practice, devoting his spare time to botany. But he got into some trouble, apparently owing to his Protestantism, and was obliged to leave Hornbach. He was in serious straits until Count Philip of Nassau, whom he had previously cured of a severe illness, gave him shelter and support in his own castle. He was eventually able to return to Hornbach, where he filled the office of preacher until his death in 1554. Bach's great work is the New Kräuterbuch, a herbal which first appeared in 1539, printed at Strasbourg by Wendel Riehel. In subsequent editions, the title was abbreviated to Kräuterbuch. The first edition was without illustrations, but a second, containing many woodcuts, followed in 1546. The majority of the figures are said to have been copied on a reduced scale from those in Fuchs's magnificent herbal, which appeared in 1542, between the first and second editions of Bach's work. Fuchs's figures must have been used with great discretion, for the plagiarism is often not obvious. See text figures 27, 90, 91. A considerable number of the figures are new, being drawn and engraved by David Kandel, whose initials appear on the portrait of Bock, reproduced in text figure 26. The woodcuts of trees in the third part of the book are particularly noticeable, see text figures 28 and 92, and are often made more interesting by the introduction of figures of man and animals. Bock's chief claim to remembrance, however, does not lie in his figures, but in his descriptions, which were a great advance on those previously published. He was careful, also, to note the mode of occurrence and localities of the plans mentioned, and in this feature his work showed some approach to a flora in the modern sense of the word. Bach seems to have been a keen collector, although hampered by ill health, and a great point in his favour is that he described only those plants which had come under his own personal observation. The royal fern, Osmunda, was traditionally supposed to bear seed upon St. John's Eve, though ferns were generally believed at that time to have no organs of fruitification. To test this statement, Bach four times spent the night in the forest. He found small black seed-like poppy seed. In spite of the fact that he used no charm, incantation or magic character, but went upon a search without superstition. Bach's freedom from the credulity which permeated the work of so many of the early botanists is one of his most remarkable characteristics. His chapters on Verbena and Artemisia reflect clearly the independence of his thought. He points out that the former plant is collected rather for purposes of magic than for medicine, and he can hardly contain his scorn at the monkey tricks and ceremonies connected with the use of the latter. Leonard Fuchs, or Fuchsius, the third of the fathers of German botany, see frontispiece, belonged to the same generation as Hieronymus Bock, although he was a little younger and produced the chief work three years later. He was born in 1501 at Memdingen in Bavaria, and at an early age he became a student of the University of Fairfort, where he is said to have taken a bachelor's degree in his thirteenth year. After a period of school teaching, he resumed his studies, this time at the University of Ingolstadt, where he devoted himself chiefly to classics and became a master of arts. After this, he turned his attention to medicine, and took a doctor's degree, 
At Ingolstadt, he came under the influence of Luther's writing, which won him over to the Reformed faith. Fuchs began to practice as a physician at Munich, but in 1526 he returned to Ingolstadt as professor of medicine. He seems to have been of a restless temperament, which was probably accentuated by the persecution to which his Protestant opinions exposed him. His career for more than forty years consisted of periods of active practice, alternating with periods of university teaching. In 1535 he was appointed to a professorship at Tübingen, and, while he held this post, he declined a call to the University of Pisa, and also an invitation to become physician to the King of Denmark. It is clear that, both as a physician and a teacher, he was in great demand. He acquired a widespread reputation by a successful treatment of a terrible epidemic disease which swept over Germany in 1529. A little book of medical instructions and prayers against the plague, which was published in London in the latter half of the 16th century, shows that his fame had extended to England. It is entitled, A Worthy Practice of the Most Learned Physician, Meister Leonard Fuchsius, Doctor in Physic, Most Necessary in This Needful Time of Our Visitation, For the Comfort of All Good and Faithful People, Both Old and Young, Both for the Sick and for Them That Would Avoid the Danger of Contagion. In spite of his professional activity, Fuchs found time to produce a botanical masterpiece, which appeared in 1542 from the press of Isengrin of Bale, under the title De Historia Stipium. This was a Latin herbal, dealing with about 400 native German and 100 foreign plants, and was followed in the succeeding year by a German edition called the New Kräuterbuch. Of all the botanists of the Renaissance, Fuchs is perhaps the one who deserves most to be held in honour. He is notably superior to his two predecessors in matters calling for scholarship, such as the critical study of the plant nomenclature of classical authors. His herbal rivals, or even surpasses, that of Brunfeld's in its illustrations, and that of Bock in its German text. The latter press of the Latin edition is, on the whole, inferior to the German, the brief descriptions being often taken word for word from previous writers. The Latin edition opens, however, with a long and most interesting preface, in singularly pure and fine Latin. Fox is keenly indignant at the ignorance of herbs displayed even by medical men. His outburst on this subject may be literally translated as follows. But, by immortal God, is it to be wondered at that kings and princes do not at all regard the pursuit of the investigation of plants, when even the physicians of our time so shrink from it, that it is scarcely possible to find one among a hundred who has an accurate knowledge of even so many as a few plants. That Fuchs's work was indeed a labour of love is a conviction that must force itself upon everyone who studies his herbal, and it is further borne out by his own words in the preface, words which bear the stamp of a lively enthusiasm. But there is no reason why I should dilate at greater length upon the pleasantness and delight of acquiring knowledge of plants since there is no one who does not know that there is nothing in this life pleasanter and more delightful than to wander over woods, mountains, plains, garlanded and adorned with flowerlets and plants of various sorts, and most elegant to boot and to gaze intently upon them. But it increases that pleasure and delight not a little if there be added acquaintance with the virtues and powers of these same plants. The woodcuts which illustrate Fuchs's herbal are of extraordinary beauty. Text figures 30, 31, 32, 58, 70, 
86, 87, 88. Some of them gain a special interest as being the first European figures of certain American plants, for example, Indian corn, ZMIs L, and the great pumpkin, Cucubita maxima duch, text figure 32. These woodcuts became familiar in England in the second half of the 16th century, being used on a reduced scale, borrowed from the octavo edition, in both William Turner's Herbal and Light's Dodoans, two books which we shall consider a little later. In Fuchs's great work, we are fortunate in possessing, in addition to the botanical drawings, a full-length portrait of the author himself, holding a spray of Veronica, on the verso of the title page, see frontispiece, and at the end of the work, named Portraits, which are generally supposed to represent the artist who drew the plants from nature, the draughtsman whose business it was to copy the outline onto the wood, and the engraver who actually cut the block. Text figure 89. It has also been suggested that the first of these is perhaps engaged in colouring a printed sheet. These portraits are powerfully drawn, and remarkably convincing. It is pleasant to think that we know not nearly the names, but the very features of the man who collaborated to give us what is perhaps the most beautiful herbal ever produced. The influence of Fuchs's illustrations is more strongly felt in later work than that of his text. The majority of the wood engravings in Bock's Kreuterbuch, 1546, Dodoen's Kreuterbuch, 1554, Turner's New Herbal, 1551-1568, Light's Neue Herbal, 1578, and Jean Bohan's Historia Plantarum Universalis, 1651, are copied from Fuchs, or even printed from his actual woodplucks, while a number of his figures reappear in the herbals of Egenolf, de Alichams, Tabemai Montanos, etc., and the commentaries of Vuelius and Amatus Lusitanos on Dioscorides. Fuchs arranged his work alphabetically, making no attempt at a natural grouping of the plants, and his herbal is therefore without importance in the history of plant classification. His influence on methods of plant description was, however, considerable, as is shown by the fact that de Doens, in his Kreuderbach, took Fuchs's herbal as a model for the order of description of each plant. Fuchs's text, as well as his figures, may thus be said to have had an effect, even if an indirect one, on British botany, since the herbals of Light and of Gerard are based on the work of Dodoens, in which, as we just have shown, the influence of Fuchs is clearly felt. The publisher Christian Egenolf of Frankfurt, though not himself a botanical writer, must be mentioned at this stage. Bercy brought out, in 1533, a set of planned illustrations which became particularly well known, for example text figures 33 and 85. They do not reflect any great credit on Egenolf, since they were mostly pirated from Brunfels. They were not even used to illustrate a new herbal, but merely a new edition of the old German Herbarius, enlarged and improved by Dr. Eucharius Rodion and issued under the name of Kreuterbuch von allen Erdgewächs. Egenolf was evidently a keen man of business, for he made his figures to duty over and over again. He used them not only as illustrations to the herbal, but as a separate publication, without any letterpress, and also in conjunction with an entirely unrelated text, such, for example, as a Latin version of Dioscorides. Many later editions of the Kreuterbuch appeared, and to these a number of figures were added, 
chiefly copies on a reduced scale from those of Bach, who had himself made considerable use of drawings and the octavo edition of Fuchs's Herbal. The editions produced under the auspices of Adam Loniser, the publisher's son-in-law, are particularly well known. No other botanical work of the period had a success comparable to that of his long series of books, of which Rodian's Kotterbuch was the prototype. This success was, however, achieved in the teeth of much adverse contemporary criticism. Fuchs, in the preface of his Historia Stipium, 1542, referred with unsparing touch to Agenov's botanical mistakes. His transient indictment may be rendered into English as follows. Among all the herbals which exist today, there are none which have more of the crassest errors than those which Agenolf, the printer, has already published again and again. This statement Fuchs supports by means of actual examples. It must nevertheless be admitted that, even if their quality was poor, the herbals published by Agenolf and his successors did good service in disseminating some knowledge of the plant world among a very wide public. There is, in the British Museum, a beautiful copy of the 1536 edition, with a binding stamped in gold and bearing the arms of Mary, Duchess of Suffolk, daughter of Henry the Seventh. The Duchess may perhaps have inherited a taste for herbals from her father, for the British Museum also possesses a copy of Verard's translation of the author's Sanitatis, which is known to have been purchased by him. Among the German fathers of botany, Sprengel includes a comparatively little-known name, that of Valerius Cordus, 1515-1544, a man whose actual achievement was small, but who, if he had not died so young, would probably have become one of the most famous of the earlier herbalists. His father, Iresius Cordus, was a physician, botanist, and man of letters, so Valerius was brought up in a fortunate environment. At sixteen, he graduated at the University of Marburg, and, after studying in various towns, he passed from the position of pupil to that of teacher, and expanded his curridus at the University of Wittenberg. He travelled widely in search of plans, and visited many of the savants of the periods. He is known to have made a stay at Tübingen, and it is highly probable that he became personally acquainted with Leonard Fuchs. Cordus had always longed to see, under their native skies, the plans about which the ancients had written, and in fulfilment of this dream he undertook a long excursion into Italy. He visited many of the towns, amongst others Padua, Bologna, Florence and Siena, travelling partly on foot and partly on horseback, and generally accompanied by his friend Hieronymus Schreiber. The journey was a very trying one to men accustomed to a more northerly climate. Wild and difficult country had it been traversed in the height of summer, and the exposure and fatigue led to a tragic conclusion. Cordus was injured by a kick from a horse, which brought on a fever, and his companions had great difficulty in getting him as far as Rome. He rallied, however, and his friends were deceived into the belief that he was on the road to recovery. They even thought it safe to leave him, while they made an excursion to Naples, but he did not survive until their return. His fate, like that of Keats, was to see Rome and die. None of the botanical works of Valerius Cordus were published during his lifetime, but his commentaries on Dioscorides and his Historia Stipium were edited by Gessner after his death. The great merit of the Historia lies in the vividness of the descriptions. The author seems to have examined the plants for their own sake, 
not merely in the interest of the arts of healing. Cordus did noteworthy service to medicine, however, for when he passed through Nuremberg on his travels, he was able to lay before the physicians of that town a collection of medical recipes, chiefly selected from earlier writings. This work, which had for some time been in use in Saxony in manuscript form, was considered so valuable that, after it had been examined and tested under the auspices of the town council, it was published officially as the Nuremberg Dispensatorium, probably in 1546. This is said to be the first work of the nature of a pharmacopoeia ever published under government authority. A passing reference may be made at this point to Jacob Theodore of Bergzaben, 1520-1590, a herbalist whose work was perhaps of no very great importance, but who was closely connected with the German fathers of botany, having been the pupil both of Otto Bonfels and of Hieronymus Bock. In his books he called himself Tabernae Montanos. Like the majority of the herbalists, Theodore was a medical man, and his study of botany was a hobby which extended over many years. He projected a herbal, but was unable for a long time to carry the idea into effect, being deterred by the cost of the illustrations. This difficulty was eventually overcome, chiefly through the generosity of Count Palatine Frederick III and of the Frankfurt publisher Nicolas Baseos. The herbal first appeared in 1588, under the title Neukräuterbuch, and in 1590 the illustrations were published without any text as the Iconis Plantarum. The herbal is a large and very finely illustrated work. The figures, however, are for the most part not original, but are reproduced from Bock, Fuchs, Dodoens, Mattioli, Delaclus, and de Lobel. This collection of woodblocks became familiar in England a few years later, when they were acquired by the printer John Norton, and used to illustrate Durant's Herbal, which appeared in 1597. There is still another German herbalist of the 16th century whose work must not be overlooked. This is Joachim Camerarius the Younger, Plate six. His father was a celebrated philologist and a friend of Melanchthon. The son, who was born in 1534, was attracted to botany in his early youth. He studied at Wittenberg and other universities, and travelled in Hungary and Italy. He spent some time in the latter country, and took a doctor's degree in medicine at Bologna. At Pisa, he became acquainted with Andrea Cesalpino. Finally, he returned to Germany, and settled down at Nuremberg. Here he cultivated a garden which was kept supplied with rare plants by his friends and the Nuremberg merchants. Camerarius brought out an edition of Mattioli, de Plantis Epitoma, but his chief work was the Hortus Medicus at Philosophicus, which appeared in 1588. The illustrations to this book consist partly of drawings by Gessner, which the author had bought a few years previously, and partly of original figures. It is impossible to discriminate with any exactness between the work of the two men. These woodcuts, of which text figures 34, 35, 71 and 100 are examples, will be discussed more fully in chapter 7. From the botanical point of view, they represent a considerable advance, since the details of floral structure are often shown on an enlarged scale. Camerarius was a good observer, and his travels furnished him with much information regarding the localities for the plans which he described. End of chapter 4, part 1. Recording by Mocha.